That's a hot dog. It comes from Earth. Do you like it? There's no dog in this. Mm -mm. Soybean meal, niacin, dextrose, and sodium nitrate flavoring. That's what we call meat back home. And welcome to Smoking and Drinking in Space. This is a sci-fi podcast from a couple guys who think they know sci-fi. Yeah, we do. This week, we're going to take a look at Roger Corman's 1980 sci-fi cult classic, Battle Boobies Beyond the space. Stars. <laughs> or <laughs> Boobies in Space, yes. Boobies in Space. Uh, but first, we're going to check in with some sci-fi news. What do you have this week? I know um, I stole your thunder next last week, so uh, we're going we're gonna to let you go first this week. I heard that they st- they're still on track for the Boba Fett movie. Really, the Boba Fett show. Okay, well that's uh, that's news to me. I hadn't I hadn't read that yet. So, are they are they anticipating when they might have the Boba Fett movie going? No, it was uh, it was mentioned in passing on this article I was reading. Um, basically, saying it was uh, talking primarily about Solo and how they were disappointed in that. And they just said that uh, the plans for the Boba Fett are still on. They didn't give any specifics. They just said, no, Boba's still in the future. Ah, okay. Well, that's a, that's a bright note from uh, everything. Well, I, and I, I actually kind of want to see a, an Obi-Wan movie over a Boba Fett movie. but Well, people seem to be stuck on the anti-hero right now. Yeah, that's true. I don't see Boba Fett being as funny as Deadpool, though. No, and at the same time, though, I mean, I wish they would come up with a good bad guy movie. I mean, a bad guy. I personally haven't seen a good bad guy film since Silence of the Lambs. When they came out with The Dark Knight, um, I think that's the one they had with uh, The Joker. Right. I was really eagerly anticipating that because I was envisioning The Joker from the... The canon comic, the the detective, what is it? Um, oh, it was that that Batman where Batman was not so nice. Oh, the I Dark Knight. The Dark Knight comic. Yeah. And the Joker was just so fucking dark, and I was really hoping that they were going to do something like that with this Joker. You know, basically Hannibal Lecter with a smile. And I don't know. I thought. They came close, but I don't think they went as dark. They alluded to it, but they didn't show it. I don't know. I thought as Heath Ledger's Joker was was pretty dark. It and sadistic. was spot on. It was great, but I don't know. They had just spent too much time showing Batman. Well, it's a Batman movie. I think they should make a Joker movie. Well, they're they're making two. Yeah, so, but they don't have Heath, so I'm concerned. Well, yeah. Nobody's going to have Heath anymore, unfortunately. The only thing that would have made Heath Ledger's Joker better was if they had Mark Hamill do the voice. Right. Heath Ledger's acting and Mark Hamill's voice, that would be a... Well, honestly, I think Mark Hamill could do it if he was just a little bit younger. Unless they could write something to make the Joker an older guy, I think Mark Hamill is more than capable of playing the Joker in the real. Well, in the Dark Knight comics, in in Frank Miller's Dark Knight comic, uh, the Joker was old. I mean, that was Batman was in retirement and came out of retirement for. Oh, I forgot that. Yes. So there you go. Call up Mark Hamill. He'll do it. He'll fucking do it. He's awesome. But yeah, that's the news I got. Boba's still a go. They didn't mention anything about Obi Wan. And what would they do? Just cover him on Tatooine? Well, I mean, we pretty much got his backstory. Yeah, I guess they would explore what happens between between episode three and episode four. How he yeah. looked over Luke, and I don't know. Maybe he had some vent- adventures between then. Who knows? Maybe, maybe. So my news this week is uh, it looks like sci-fi is still on their horror continuation kick. Uh, they're going to reboot Clive Barker's Nightbreed. That was a good show. Yeah. It was a little low rent, but it was a good show. 
I enjoyed uh, looks, that. Looks like they're going to throw some budget at it and redo it. And Jurassic Park Fallen Kingdom seems to be getting mixed reviews. So much so that I think Ars Technica's review basically said it was the Jurassic Park equivalent of Sharknado. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. So, uh, this might be the last Jurassic Park that we see. Get your Happy I'm, Meal toys while you can. Right. Yeah, if it, uh, if, if it, if the box office is, uh, shadowing the reviews that it's getting, I, I don't see them making another one. Hmm. Well, maybe they'll sell it to sci-fi and they can get a tornado with Cloverfield and bring everything <laughs> together. Actually, Cloverfield, uh, the Cloverfield series went to Netflix. Did you realize that? Yes, and I and I and I did watch. I haven't seen the the I guess the third installation, and I think there's a fourth out now too. It it the one I saw that's it orients itself on a space station around the planet, right? And it seems to tie into the first Cloverfield movie, which I have not seen, but I'm familiar with because of all the spoilers that have come out by now. And it, I, I thought it was fun. I mean, every once in a while, it got a little. What? Where are you going with this? I'm, I'm a bit lost. But then it would have some really good scenes. Um, the acting is good. The acting is good. The script is eh, kind of all over the place. You can definitely <laughs> tell that it was a, a cooperative effort. But um, yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought it was fine. It's on my list. I haven't, I haven't checked. I mean, I didn't have to pay for it. I mean, I got the Netflix thing. It's already there. True. True. So I, I didn't feel like I had wasted my time, but I didn't want to rush out and buy a copy either. Right. Yeah. I enjoyed the first Cloverfield. I thought it was pretty good. I, I not like Deadpool from what you said about Deadpool. I'm just going to buy it as soon as it hits disc. I'm just going to buy it. I'm not even going to preview it. I'm telling you, you need to, you need to at least hit it. Once in the theater. Well, they'll, they'll bring it to the cheap old bastard theater in the mall soon, so I'll run out there for two bucks. All right. All right, so Battle Beyond the Stars. Yeah. Oh, Civil that... Damn Damn Danning. This was an interesting movie. Are you ready for the pod crawl? Oh, let's crawl, baby. Crawl. Let's do it. We can call it, I don't know, say a pod crawl. The pod crawl. Pod crawl. Pod crawl. Pod crawl. Excellent. Insert it deep. Pod crawl. Kind of like a space suppository full of information. Opening credits show where Star Trek The Next Generation stole their fonts. We get the <laughs> forecast on the fours from the WeatherSat 1. A big penis-shaped warship glitter jizzes on WeatherSat 1 while Blotchface claims ownership of the planet with one habitable spot. John Boy volunteers to find a zany band of misfits that can defend the planet with the help of the name-dropping and boob ship Nell. Uh huh. Nell plays hard to get as John Boy makes a rude comment about her age. Uh-huh. Nell is concerned with showing her backside to fully thrusting raiders. John Boy lands on the satellite of disassembled singing androids. Creeping android Dr. Festus wants to work out a breeding arrangement between John Boy and his daughter Nanelia and even provides a conjugal suite. Nell wants to exchange data with another ship. Blotchface throws powdered emissary on Scarface. Space redneck Hannibal sends out an SOS. John Boy doesn't want to fire from behind. The dick ship glitter jizzes on a planet and converts it into a star. An eyeball ship swallows Nanelia's ship after saving her from red and blue light to cook her down and sell her as protein. A bifluorescent trilobite ship captures John Boy and Nell. Nestor wants John Boy to drink the Kool-Aid. The thrusting raiders kidnap a designing woman and John Boy finds an exploding manhole cover. Gelt is hiding out from the Magnificent Seven as John Boy dials some drugs and a date. The Valkyrie Booberella shoots her blanks and counts coup all over John Boy. Prep for battle includes terraforming using a crystal xylophone as a sentence I never thought I would say. <laughs> Anelia has a talk with Booberella and then propositions John Boy, whose torque bar slipped its groove. <laughs> yeah, dude. Everyone roasts hot dogs on the Kelvins. The final battle involves Gelt doing all the heavy lifting and Hannibal loving it when a plan comes together. 
The nesters play while you nest. I'm sorry. That's just too good. Keep going. Keep going. The nesters play why? The nesters play why are you killing yourself with Blotchface's new arm? The Gorn wants to bump heads with Blotchface. Nell gets Dane Bramage and blows up the penis ship while John Boy waxes poetic on all the mercenary lives he's destroyed and roll credits. There you go. Can't believe Uh-oh. you did that in less than 42 seconds. Yeah, I know. It's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so this movie felt like it was about a half an hour too long. <laughs> I pity the fool to don't watch the whole thing. Hannibal. Yeah. And it was only a hundred, it was only an hour and forty five minutes. <laughs> I know it's a stretcher, isn't it? It is. So, I have mixed feelings about this movie. I thought some of the production values on this movie, especially you know the some of the special effects, in particular the set design and the models that they used, were fantastic. Oh yeah, for nineteen eighty. Yeah, especially for nineteen eighty. I thought the writing and the acting in this movie was horrific. Oh, I know. <laughs> and they had some big name actors. I mean, oh, this is an alimony movie. Everybody owed somebody some money or yeah. a favor. Oh, yeah. And the, the budget on this movie. Do, do you know what the budget on this movie was? No, not offhand. I didn't look. Two million dollars. That's a lot back then. For, for 1980, that's an, that's an enormous amount. For this on um, I remember on Star Trek movie. the motion picture they dropped a million just on special effects that set a record yeah and that was like what 79 uh 78 79 so yeah this was big money people yeah don't, don't think oh two million dollars shit you know I got that wouldn't even buy a Bugatti well it might not now but guess how much it took in the box office no idea. Eleven million dollars. Oh, 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 oh shit! I know. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that is just based on the cast alone. Domestic, yeah, probably just domestic too. I'm sure it went bigger, and it's it's getting to be a cult classic. Oh, it is there's a cult a, classic. There's another one that came out. I'm trying to remember. It had even uh, it had John, uh, not John Saxon, um, Michael Ironside. As the bad guy, and Molly Ringwald played the team lead, and it was um, oh my god, I'm gonna have to look it up now. But but it came out about the same time. Uh, let me go. Um, let's see. Research on the fly. Research on the fly. Nothing like research on the fly. Molly Ring. That's some, that's some great pod right there. On the fly. So. Zip my, ooh, ooh, for that one, research on the fly, you should have like a zipper sound coming down. <laughs> Molly Ringwald, sci-fi. Well, while you're looking that up. Found it. Space Hunter, Adventures in the Forbidden Zone, 1983. Oh, my God. That just oh, sounds horrible. It's, Adventures it's, in the por- Forbidden Zone sounds like innuendo. Well, yeah, and she's like 16, 17 in the movie, so yeah. Oh, that's awful. But, oh, I'm telling you, it needs to be looked at. I mean, woo! This is definitely drive-in classic. Right up there with Crawl. You remember Crawl? Oh, I remember Crawl. With the with the boomerang glaive. <laughs> now, this is, this is camp at its finest. So, the, the people that made this movie, as horrible as it was... A lot of them went on to become, I mean, just giants oh, in their yeah. field. So, guess who did the special effects in this movie? Um, I'm seeing, I'm seeing the guy from, uh, I can't think of his name. He, uh, he did the Alien. He did Predator. Yeah. Stan yeah, he, Winston. No, James Cameron. Oh, Cameron. I thought it was Stan Winston. Oh, no, okay. James Cameron did the special effects in this movie. Nice. Uh, he, they, they started out, um, he, was in, he was initially hired just to make the models, but they uh, got rid of their art director, and he was basically promoted to doing all the production design and, and art and special effects in the movie. 
So they walk into him. He probably had hair back then, pulled back in a ponytail, and he's like, I got this! Well, he got the gig because Gail Ann Hurd was actually working with John, or I'm sorry, Roger Corman at this time. Yeah. And so Gail Ann Hurd later became, you know, the producer on Aliens and mm-hmm. uh, later became uh, James Cameron's wife, worked with Not him Not what on, you know, but who you blow. Got it. Right. And... Worked with him on Aliens and Terminator and, and the Abyss. Right. And, uh, yeah, she was the one that brought in James Cameron, and this was his big break into, you know, humble, bigger and better things. Humble beginnings, such as we. Right. This is our humble beginning. There's no telling how far we will go. Guess who else worked on this film as a carpenter? A carpenter. You'll never get this. Uh, as a carpenter, I'm going to say, um, um, this is, this is just a total jump. What's his name? Um, um, Joss Whedon. No, although that's not, not too bad of a guess, but I don't think okay. Joss Whedon's old enough to have been involved in this. Hey Bill, man, let's pull him. Bill Paxton. No way! <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Another alien. Yes, and nice. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure that's how James Cameron and Bill Paxton. It know, might have been met each other. It might have been. I mean, they're both doing the shit behind the scenes. Yeah, right. Man, you just can't turn over any movie without finding a Texan somewhere. <laughs> and that uh, is cool. The score on this movie was done by James Horner. I was going to say, the score was, was a real guy. Yeah. He did the score for Krull mm-hmm. and Star Trek Two. Mm-hmm. Man likes his horns. I have, one of the things I really like about a lot of the music he does, there's a nice, rich horn section. Right. But no, there's I mean... something commanding about a good horn section. Yeah, the, the DNA in this movie uh, definitely proliferated throughout sci-fi for decades to come. It's a guilty pleasure movie. That's why I recommended it. It's uh it, it's definitely one that I I'm glad I've seen. Um sure. because I have heard about it in the past. I don't know that it's going to be a, a repeat watch, but it's definitely but worth a good I guarantee you it has marked you. <laughs> it this has is kind of like me. two people one one drinking thing. It's marked you. It has it marked me. It will never leave you. Oh, and one more thing I have to throw in about the Molly Ringwald sci-fi that I think you should watch. It was originally released in theaters 3D. 3D? Yeah. When was that released? 83. I guess they did Jaws 3D probably around that time, right? Well, hell, they had 3D movies in the 50s and 60s, man. Well, yeah, that's true. Well, I didn't say it was, you know, Avatar 3D. I mean, this is... (laughs) I go remember your, the old go get red your and blue crunch glasses off the back of the cereal box and go to the movie. Yeah, the old red and blue 3D glasses. Yeah. That's exactly what they used. Yeah. Oh my god, the rocks were flying right at me. <laughs> but yeah, I enjoyed this movie. It's a guilty pleasure for me. I watch it maybe once every 3 or 4 years and I just giggle. All the way through it. And and the more I see it, the more I'm cheering the absurdity. It's really cool. I enjoy the fact that uh, Robert Vaughn is in it from The Magnificent Seven playing the same character. Yeah, he's the exact same character he was. All the way down to dressing all in black. Does he the same black. name? No. Uh, he was, I think he was Lee in Magnificent Seven. He's Gelt in this one. So Yeah, wouldn't that have been great? Yeah. You'd have the same name. I've been doing this for a long time. He almost <laughs> even has the same hairstyle. All he needed was a black hat, and it would have been perfect. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It, of course, well, I he think wouldn't he, be the first guy to do that. I mean, Yul Brenner did the same thing when he went over to uh, Westworld in the original Westworld movie. Uh-huh. He played the gunslinger. The gunslinger robot that was just outmatching everybody and killing everyone. Right. Which, by the way, the guy that he ended up fighting, one of the two buddies that went in that movie, was the guy you and I were talking about in Friday, Saturday the 14th. Really? Yeah, that same actor, Richard Benjamin. Huh. 
he was in Westworld. And then after that, yeah, he was in that horrible one one season, one year run uh, space movie based off of Star Trek, but there were garbage collectors in space at the Federation. <laughs> Quark, the TV show Quark. Oh man, I have not oh. seen that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Yul Brynner was getting long in the tooth, and he played the cowboy android, and he dressed and did everything just like he did in the Magnificent Seven. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen the original Westworld. In fact, I was going to watch it before I started watching the HBO series Westworld a few years ago, but I never could find it anywhere. So You're not missing a whole lot. It's really good for its time, but it's like uh, the, uh, the Last Man on Earth from 1954. 55 with Last Vincent Man Price. On Earth. Yeah. Oh, uh, that's the uh that's the I Am Legend first movie yes. make, right? That is the very first. And then they redid adaptation. it. And then they redid it for a Mega Man with Charlton Heston in the yeah. 70s or late 60s early yeah. 70s. I want to say it was like 72. Yeah. 73. It was when he was still bouncing in and out of the Planet of the Apes. Yeah. And then they did it, uh, I thought, quite well with Will Smith. With Will Smith, yeah. But I really, really like, I mean, the Will Smith one's going to come in first in my book. I thought Will Smith did an excellent job, and all the people in that, kudos to that production. But uh, a very close second has to go to the original with uh, one of my all-time favorites, Vincent Price. I think that's one of those movies that I've caught on cable so many times and I've only caught parts of it that I've probably seen the entire movie. Oh, I bet never, you have in pieces. Never all at once. Yeah, it's, it's, it's joint pieces. Yeah. The very beginning is slow. Lots of plot development. You know how much I love that. <laughs> but um, yeah, there's no. no plot development in this movie. No, there, there isn't. And lots of pew pew. Lots of pew pew. And this is your perfect boobies. movie. And boobs, yes. I've got pew pew and I got boobs, man. Yes, this is your perfect. You've got ship boobs and real boobs. Oh, I know, right? The only thing that would have been better is Sybil Danning flying now, but I don't think I could have handled it. Well, with no, I'd have been boobs. handling it. Flying I'd have been handling with... it. <laughs> yeah. But you'd have been handling something. Something. But, you know, my popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> Extra butter. Ah, uh, gross. Cut. <laughs> But yeah, this is a great show. And it's got smoking and drinking in space. It does. In fact, I would say there's probably more smoking and drinking in just this movie than there was in the entire first season of Battlestar Galactica. And it was just with one character. One character. George Papard, which was a habitual smoker in real life. Well, yeah, but he's got the coyote ugly belt, man. Yeah, that's true. I love that little scotch dispenser that he has. Oh, on his I know, belt. right? Comes with uh, comes with soda water and, and ice, ice and ice. <laughs> oh, I'm telling you, space cowboy. Oh my god! I love how he calls for help. Mayday! Mayday! <laughs> That was Mayday. that was his acting throughout the entire movie. He and Robert Vaughn knew that they were punching so far beneath them. Oh, you gotta they know just, this. They were they basically phoned it in. I think if they could have done it over the phone, they would have. Oh yeah, certainly. I mean, the first time I saw George Papard, pardon me, was on the Blue Max. If you're not familiar with it, it's a World War One uh, fighter plane movie. Yeah, I don't think I've seen Made that one. Made in the one. '60s, he, uh, the Blue Max. It's a, it's a, an award like the Iron Cross. Right. You get. He played a German, German ace. Okay. Excellent movie. Excellent movie. George Papard was a baby. He still had gray in hair. I think he was in his late twenties, but he was already going premature gray. You could see it around the sideburn area. Um, but that was serious. And then you know, a couple other movies I've seen him playing heavies and whatnot. Uh, the romantic lead, tough guy with the blue eyes, those blue eyes, very papard, you know, that's his little thing. But this movie, I'm like, cool, George Papard. I'm like, what the hell? You know. You think he was... dyed his hair for this movie? Because he was very blonde in this movie. Oh, I'm sure they did. 
I'm sure they did. Well, he's he's naturally a blonde anyway. Right, but, but at this uh, time in the '80s, he was already oh, he gray. Was, he was gray. Yeah, he's he's got that uh, Leslie Nielsen, and who's the other guy that went gray so damn early? Oh, um, uh, uh, oh, oh man, Steve Martin. Steve That's Martin. I'm in fact, it, we're going to discuss him later, and you'll you'll find out why. Okay. But, yeah, Steve Martin. He's he's one of those other premature grays. Now, the first time I ever saw George Papard, of course, was when I was a kid and he was on the A-team. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, he played Colonel Hannibal um, yeah, on the A-team. Yeah, and then, you had, and then you had Mad Dog Murdoch. Mad Dog Murdoch and uh, Mr. T, which was B.A. Baracus, and then Face. And Mad, Dog, Mad Dog Murdoch was played by, oh, God, he played uh, Lieutenant Barkley on Star Trek Enterprise. Or Star Trek uh, The Next Generation. No, 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 no. That's, uh, yeah, he did. Yes, he did. No, that's the a same guy totally that, that played Mad Dog Murdoch. No, it's not. Oh, let's make this a bet. We've that's Matthew Fuhrer. No, that's yeah, that's Matt Fuhrer. No, nope. Mad Dog Murdoch was played by the same actor that played Lieutenant Barkley, the guy that was paranoid and xenophobic and agoraphobic and. Everything on Star Trek, the one that saw the weird shit in the transporter and had all his holodeck addiction and all that. Lieutenant Reginald Barkley was played by the same actor who played Mad Dog Murdoch on the A-Team. Really? And I'm trying to remember his name. Come on, make a bet with me. This is how I got my first computer system way back in the day. Make a bet with me. I dare you. It's Star Trek trivia. Make a bet with me. Make it a bet. Make it a bet. Make it a bet. I could use a fifty. I could use a fifty-six oh, no. inch flat screen. Dwight Schultz. Yeah, that's Dwight Schultz. Okay, that's his name, Dwight Schultz. I just couldn't remember his name, but it's the same actor. Oh, they look a lot alike. And then Face was played by the guy that did uh, the real Starbucks. Dirk Benedict. Yeah. Dirk Benedict. Yeah. Yeah, he played the first Starbucks. You say first, I say real. First, real, first, real. <laughs> well, I think they're both real. They both exist. Yeah, but the question is, who's got the bigger penis? But that's for now, another episode. Now, you could make the point that he plays the better Starbuck, and we could have that debate. Kind of like oh, yeah. the first Wrath of Khan was the better Wrath of Khan. Oh, God, yes. Space Seed on the original series and also Wrath of Khan. Ricardo Montalban, one of my all-time favorites. You know, he started his career as a Broadway dancer. Yeah, I can see that. Ricardo Montalban's very graceful, very strong guy. And everybody says that those were prosthetics that he had for his chest in the original in the Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan television or a movie. No, that was Ricardo. But he wore a glove on one hand all the time because of his advanced rheumatoid arthritis. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, but he still managed to get through it, man. He soldiered on. And then, of course... He went on to do Fantasy Island. The plane. The plane, boss, the plane. The plane. No, um, but later on, I actually remember George Papard out of Breakfast and Tiffany. Breakfast at Tiffany's. In fact, it was, yeah. it was weird seeing that movie because I don't think I saw that movie until I was probably in high school. So I didn't watch it till I was nearly 30. It was a chick flick. And for all you nerds out there listening... Let me tell you now, find out what the girls like to watch, find out the music they like to listen to, and at least be familiar with it because they don't want to hear your shit. Right. Um, and it was, it was weird seeing him that young and going, wow, he looks familiar. No, no way. Is that? That's, 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 that's Hannibal. Space Cowboy. <laughs> well, I didn't know him as Space Cowboy yet, <laughs> but yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's Space Redneck right there. Oh, man, I tell you what. Did he not look uncomfortable in that cowboy hat? Oh, he looked it, uncomfortable in that tire gal outfit, those chaps in that vest him. that, that oh, was made out of so a fucking awkward. moving blanket. You know, oh when he's had that scene where uh, Richard Thomas, John Boy, good night, John Boy, good night, Mary Jane, good night, Ma. Good night, John Boy, good night, Jim Bob. That's from the Waltons, if you guys don't know. That's how they ended every episode. Um yeah. That scene where they see the planet destroyed via, I don't know, interstellar CNN. Um, 
well, sure, you know, they got to say it somewhere. Uh, but the thing is, when he's talking to him, saying, well, we're going to need somebody to, you know, train us to use the weapons. Uh-huh. You know, he's just kind of like, yeah, I'm not saying I'm getting out of this. Yeah. I wonder if that's how his negotiations went for this movie. You know, you need some money for alimony. Yeah. And you owe me. Yeah. I've still got pictures of that goat night. Yeah. Well, you know, this movie... Uh, this movie happened right at the end of the Waltons. The Waltons went up until like 1980. Yeah. And I think he was somewhat at least part-time involved in the Waltons the last few seasons. I know there was yeah, a his season character or went two. on to war, I believe, went into World War One. Yeah, World War Two. Was it World uh, War Two? Yeah. So the Waltons took place during the Great Depression and World War Two. Ah, okay. I thought it was okay, so it's post World War One. Yeah. It's been a while. I only watched maybe ten episodes of that show begrudgingly. Something my grandmother liked. Yeah, it that, was on when I was. That reminds a me kid when I was your age. Oh, good. It was on when I was a kid periodically at my grandparents' house, and uh, and I think I think they watched it in reruns too. Fuck, I don't know. I've seen more of the Waltons than I ever ever wanted to. Did you get to watch Mr. Lawrence Welk and his Awanda and the two oh, and the three? God, yes. <laughs> you got to admit, though, that Cuban, he had a good band. I, yeah, I, I don't know. I did something else and it was on in the background. He was, I, he was everything that Ricky Ricardo was not. I've, I've absorbed more stupid shit in the background with the <laughs> as a kid than I think I ever needed to. But that's beside the point. Now, um, yeah, so this was this was him coming off of his Walton's career, so I'm not sure. Right, and he had the lead. Yeah, he had the lead, so I'm wondering if maybe he was trying to ride this like uh, Mark Hamill rode, you know, Star Wars, because this was this was basically Roger Corman trying to you know cash in on the whole space opera Star Wars, and uh, he did. Well, yeah. I mean, eleven million at the box office for this fucking movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I'm gonna do right quick. What's that? Get that zipper ready. I'm <laughs> going to do a little more checking, and I'm gonna see what was at the box office in 1980. Oh, do it. Let's see what's happening. <laughs> but no, um, the I thought the models that they used in this movie, I thought a lot of the practical effects, the set design were fantastic. I mean, it was uh, it was clean. It looked good. Um, you didn't see, you know, strings holding oh, shit up. Oh, my God. What's that? Well, I'm looking at the list. I can't believe it did that well because there were some classic movies that came out the same year. One of my all-time favorites that I cannot push hard enough for us to review on this show is Flash Gordon. Oh, it's on the list. Came out in 1980. Star Wars Empire came out. Right. Stir Crazy, Mad Max, Airplane, Any Which Way You Can, Private Benjamin, Smokey and the Bandit 2, kind of a snooze, the first Friday the 13th, the Blues were on a mission from God. Brothers, The Final Countdown, Popeye, The Blue Lagoon. How risque was that? Remember Bo Derek, or not Bo Derek, Brooke Shields, Naked? Oh, my. Yeah. Urban Cowboy, The Shining, Cheech and Chong's next movie, and uh, the last but not least, there's a few others that came out, but last but not least, a classic, Caddyshack. Caddyshack, yes. All those came out. Oh, and for the for the for the more adult in taste, Caligula also came out with Malcolm McDowell. Oh my God, <laughs> that was nineteen eighty. That was nineteen eighty. Holy shit! I thought Caligula was older than that. No, oh, oh, and for for all the people into uh, leg warmers and headbands, Xanadu. Xanadu, yes. Olivia uh, altered states. Altered States, good one. The Octagon with Chuck Norris. <laughs> There's several others here. Uh, let's see. Uh, da, 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 da. The Nude Bomb. I remember that vaguely. Used Cars. That was with... Um, I don't know oh. that one. 
Yeah, it's it's a comedy about used car salesman, and it's got what's his face that played Star Lord's dad, Kurt Russell. Oh, okay. Um, kind of sounds like Cadillac Man. Yeah, I I, I want to say that was it was similar. Uh, I may not be remembering it right, but yeah. And then uh, Cadillac the, Man was Robin Williams and Tim Robbins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very similar. Yeah, this one has Kurt Russell. The Fog. The Fog. The original The Fog. I know The Mist. I don't know The yeah. Fog. Yeah, same same basic thing. Raging Bull with De Niro. Wow. thought Raging Bull was older. Mm-mm. American Gigolo. Okay. With uh, um, Richard Gere. Yeah. And uh, I almost said something rude about a gerbil, but I didn't. Didn't bring it up. Private Benjamin. Yeah. Private Benjamin with Goldie Hawn. Yeah. Nine to five with Dolly Boom Boom Parton. Yeah. And guess what? Battle Beyond the Stars, the list I'm looking at goes one through 65. It's not even on the list. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. Not even on the list. The domestic box office Mad Max only made eight point seven million. Wow! So this beat out Mad Max at the domestic box. But guess what? The international box brought in for Mad Max. What's that? Ninety one. Well, I mean, it was an Australian film, though, right? Yeah. Yeah. So all the people on the other side of the world from us were probably all kinds of crazy the domestic. About it. The the domestic box on Star Wars Empire was two hundred ninety million. Jeez, just domestic. It was five hundred thirty four million uh, worldwide. Now, is that adjusted for current? That's got to be adjusted. Uh, domestic share one hundred percent fifty four. Let's see. Uh, it's not stating. This is I'm looking at the numbers.com. It's not stating about the adjusted, but I don't think it is because it's a half a billion dollars worldwide for Star Wars. Yeah, for 1980, that's humongous. It's a lot of money. I mean, Urban Cowboy is also on this list. John Travolta, 46 million. Was what it made at the box office. I can see that. So it looks like to date has earned more than five hundred and thirty-eight million worldwide from its original it run and several re-releases. So okay, okay, but still, that is some that is some scratch, buddy. That's that's an enormous amount that's of sixty-five money. movies that came out. Battle Beyond the Stars ain't even on the list. It's probably number 66. <laughs> of course, knowing Corman, it'd be 69. It's number 69 on that list. <laughs> oh, that's great. But yeah, guys, if you know the Magnificent Seven, you know the basic storyline. There's even a cutscene where you see each of the seven mercenary ships, one by one, doing a flyby. So it made 181,000 or 181 million during its first run in the US and Canada. What? Star Wars? Yeah, Empire. I was going to say you can't be talking about Corman. No. And then it was re-released in 81 and came out with 222 million or no, brought its gross up to 222 million. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it... Half a billion dollars off of one movie. And I like to think that episode four is probably the better of the first three. I like Empire. Yeah, I I think Empire is probably my favorite of the first three, too. Followed by A New Hope and then, you know, that stupid Ewok movie at the end. Yeah, you know, I heard they were supposed to make it Wookiees. I think Wookiees would have been better, but... I think so, too. I guess I didn't want to go to Kashyyyk. Anyway. Anyways, back. Back to boobies in space. Boobs in space. So. So, Sador 
Blotch face. Is, is our bad guy, John Saxon, yep. who I first was introduced to in Enter the Dragon with Bruce Lee. Yep. A lot of people may not be aware of this, but John Saxon was an accomplished martial artist for his entire movie career. He just only did the, the fighting in Enter the Dragon. But Which he was, was a black belt. Decent film in and of itself. Oh, yeah. But um, I thought uh, he did an okay job as a bad guy, arrogant, tyrannical. Yeah. Definitely the, is the, into uh, plastic surgery and enhancement. He is. Uh, he, and is it he, me, or is there some reason why he gave all of his troops a butt face? <laughs> and a crooked butt face at that. It just looked like some of those angry tuchuses you come across at a truck stop at 3 o'clock in the morning after they've had that chili cheeseburger eat off. Oh. I kept anticipating a wet every time they would start to speak, just a prime. Oh, man, and they were all dumb as a box of rocks. Oh, yes. Not the brightest bunch, but they had a stellar converter. I liked his maniacal laugh. That was uh, That was really cheesy. Yeah, that was something else. But um, I wonder what Akir had that he needed so badly that he wanted to send in ground troops. Yeah, you're you're looking way too deep into this plot. Okay, I'm sorry. There's you, you he just blew up the other's planet. Yeah, so this is this is your perfect uh, boobs and pew pew. Right, uh, right. Yeah, don't 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 consider plot. Just imagine it of- doesn't even have a plot. What'd you think of Nestor? Yeah, Nestor. That was fun. The yeah. hand job people. Yeah. I liked uh I liked it whenever he uh he took uh Nestor, you know, one through five, one of the one of the Nestor's arms grafted it to himself and then they tried to slit his own throat with it. Right. That was perfect. I really Hope I really have a high that. tolerance for pain. <laughs> Absolutely none. Almost none. <laughs> a pimple takes one of us out. And he says it's so matter-of-factly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's like, yeah, you give me the least bit of a twinge, I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the Kelvins I thought were cool, and it almost made me wonder if Roddenberry didn't uh, swipe a little bit of that when he made the Binars in Star Trek. Well, the Binars came first because Star Trek, the original series, came on in the 60s. No, 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 but the Binars weren't around until the next generation. I thought the Binars were the people that were, like, black and white, painted black no, and no, white. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. The Binars, if you uh, do a little on the fly, go to images, you'll see there are a couple of short, ball-headed dudes that communicate in binary clicks and beeps, and they steal the Enterprise. Enterprise D to do something to save their planet, download all of their consciousness or something into the computer core for a little bit. Oh, those dips. Okay, yeah. So I'm wondering if that wasn't a bit of a a swipe from Corman. That might have been, yeah. But, uh, no, I thought the Kelvins were pretty cool, if you'll pardon that reverse pun. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha. That was funny. What'd you think of... uh, Short Kevin Sorbo. <laughs> well, he could throw a spear through yeah. two guys. I think that was his whole point in the movie was to uh, throw a spear. I liked how the last guy kind of lunged up behind the first guy, like they were meeting in the shower for the first time to make sure he could get some of that spear. Yeah, yeah, that was that was good. So Although was- I did not see, much to Corman's credit, I did not see any of the moving mountains or boulders from Star Trek: The Original uh, Series. I didn't see any styrofoam boulders getting knocked around. Most of it looked pretty heavy. I think he may have actually spent the extra 30 cents and got real rocks. <laughs> or used sh- models with real rocks, right? Something. Something. But yeah, the, probably my biggest complaint technically about the show was it was a little dark. Yeah, the lighting was a little dark. Although it wasn't bad. I watched it on Amazon Prime, and it was, you know, I guess they redid it. Yeah, remastered it. Yeah, they remastered it. So it wasn't, it didn't look too bad. But I'm thinking they did it a little bit dark to hide the strings, maybe some of of the matting. Some of the the matting process they used back then. I know they used matting in Star Wars. 
I don't know. I mean, some of the scenes were were pretty bright. I mean, the the Nestor's ship was all white. Yeah, inside and out. Um, but well, sure. But you ain't gonna make it about color, man. Don't make it about color. We're just looking the, at the uh, the uh, the space penis ship was all blue and green inside. Yeah. See, when I watched it, it was real dark. Might yeah, have been that YouTube. may have been. May have been the the one that you watched then. Might have been, but no, I would have liked it a little bit brighter because one of the things I get a kick out of when when I first, I mean, I, I cut my teeth on Star Wars as a child, and then when my son came along and my kids and everything, I like watching that. You know, seeing watch the original with them, so I can see me again in their eyes when they're watching it. Right. But some of the shit that I hear from the originals, like, oh man, you can see, you know, that doesn't look real. That doesn't look as good as this. I was like, dude, it was. Fucking 1979, 78. Come on. Give them give some credit. But I like seeing the little matting around the TIE fighters. You know? <laughs> I like I like recognizing battleship parts on the Death Star when they're flying the trench, knowing that that was done on a series of cafeteria tables out in a parking lot. Right. I thought that was amazing the way they came up. I mean, they had to invent technology to make Star Wars. And this is the child of, of a lot of that. Right. I thought it was really neat. And it's actually the grandparents of a lot of effects that came in the future. So, And some of the masters, you know, the Jedi masters of modern movies, they, they started on this shit. And they, it's, 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 it's like that one sorority party they went to and they don't want anybody to know about. It's like, yeah, yeah, I was there. I was part of that. Yeah. Uh, if Bill Paxton were only still alive, he strikes me as cool enough. We could probably get an interview with him if we could track him down. <laughs> right. Yeah. He I know. had to pass on, but I could definitely. I bet he's got some stories. I bet he does. Did you notice that the doors, when they opened and closed in this show, sounded like Vader breathing? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I now wondered that you if mentioned you it. noticed that. Now, now that it, you mention it, that kicked me the yeah the first time the. Doors open. I was like, wow, right. that sounds familiar. Where is that from? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh, and I was... It was great. It's was, a guilty pleasure. It's a fun show. You should check it out. There's there's probably a dozen Magnificent Seven, Seven Samurai-esque movies out there. Oh, yeah, and yeah. This is definitely one that I think the only way it can truly be appreciated is at a drive-in... <laughs> with some stale popcorn and some hot dogs that have been cooking since yesterday. Yes. I was fully expecting the lasers whenever they were chasing that first ship and he was uh, he was about to shoot. I was fully expecting those lasers to come out of the boobs on that ship. <laughs> no, those are the headlights. That's the sensors. That's her sensor array. Uh-huh. Yeah. I was, I was actually a little disappointed whenever... It didn't happen. I was. Do I you was think just, if they was, ever released this on Sci-Fi, they'd put a digital bra on Nell? Oh, that would be funny. That would be hilarious. They'd have I to, mean to tell they'd you, they'd have that, to pixel out the the boobs on, on the ship every time it showed up. Right. You know, one of these days, what we ought to do, if it's possible, you're the techie on this. We need to do a little bit of an MST3K. <laughs> right. We need to record us checking out a film while we're watching it. Right, yeah, that would be fun. But I don't know how we'd do it because that could get a little bit long. There'd be some some quiet moments. But if we were to watch a film and then edit some of the stuff, that might be pretty cool. Just something to kick around on the back burner. Yeah. But yeah, I would give this at least three... Squishy tomatoes overall. Uh, you're, it's a uh, fun show. Three out of what, though? Ten? Three out of ten? Yeah, I can yeah. do three out of ten. I'd give it three squishy tomatoes out of ten. There's, there's worse. I have yet to get all the way through Plan 9 from Outer Space. Plan 9? I haven't seen that one. Oh, my God. Well, you haven't seen it all either, so. You fucking cherry. Well, at least I've tried. Uh-huh. Attack of the Killer Tomatoes looks like Gone with the Wind oh compared to Plan God. 9 from Outer Space. It was the last movie Bela Lugosi ever made. In oh, fact, he man. died while making it. 
Oh, that sucks. That's like that's like Raul Julia having the last movie he ever made, oh. Street Fighter. Oh, I know. God, I hated that. Raul Julia was one of the greats, but he needed money, apparently. Because he yeah. was dying. He probably needed money for his treatment, and the check bounced. Probably. From that but movie. No. Oh, my Speaking God. Speaking of the Seven Samurai, and this is definitely a Samur- Seven Samurai-inspired movie. Oh, yeah. Um, well, a Magnificent Seven-inspired movie, which was inspired by the Seven Samurai. This is actually more of a hybrid of both. I mean, it took took a lot of the cues from the, the Magnificent Seven, but then it also had some stuff from the Seven Samurai that the Magnificent, Magnificent Seven didn't. But. Like the Varda. They kept referring back to the Varda. Right. Well, and the the planet Akira, um, or the planet Akir and the people Akir. Akira were a direct nod to Akira Kurosawa. Oh, absolutely. The only thing missing was the tentacles from the anime. There's a stretch! It wasn't an anime, although there was an anime that's uh, called uh, Samurai 7 that's based off of the Seven Samurai. And there's an awesome anime called Akira with a lot of tentacles, and it's a legalized hallucination. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You just don't even need to pop shrooms or nothing. Just sit back. Maybe go without sleep for a day. But that got me thinking about other movies that are based on the... the, uh, Seven Samurai. Right. And I've come up with a, a, a list that probably isn't comprehensive, but it's it, the more I thought about it, the there's a few of them that kind of surprised me on this. All so, right, let's uh, hear it. So um, A Bug's Life is pretty much a direct copy of yeah. The Seven Samurai. You're right, right. Uh, the Justice League movie. Yeah. When you count Alfred is... There's seven is the seven samurai. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't have seven protagonists in this movie, but it's pretty much the same concept. Uh, the three amigos. Yeah. Yeah. With uh, Steve Martin, which we referred to before. It's got Martin, Martin Short, Short and Chevy, and Chevy Chase. Chase. Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, by the way, uh, free kick out because we know Steve Martin and Martin Short need money. They, they need all the help they can get. Yeah, right. their hearts. Sometimes. They've got a wonderful comedy special on Netflix right now. Oh, yeah. They're doing the... Um, the uh, A Night to Forget. Well, no. They've also got the... Uh, that comedian sketch show... Or that Canadian sketch show reunion going on with... Uh, SCTV. Yeah, SCTV's reunion is going on on Netflix, and they're they're actually going to have um, Rick Moranis is coming out of retirement to oh my join goodness them up. yes yeah so that's He's good. that's amazing. Uh, Dave Thomas is going to be there. Rick Moranis, Martin Short. Um, that's all that I can remember off the top of my head. But what was the name of the guy that he was on? Uh, Grace Under Fire played the pharmacist. He was. Uh, that's Dave on, Thomas. Uh, that's Dave Thomas. Thank you. I, I he is so great. He's almost Bob Newhart, right? The way he does his his deadpan. Speaking of Newhart, think, you know, Maul. I don't think anybody can be better than Bob Newhart, though. He is the perfect. I mean, I don't know. Maybe Tim Conway. Tim Conway. Tim Conway is pretty good. Yeah. So speaking of Bob Newhart, you know, Maul in this movie, who was John Boy's sister that got kidnapped and subsequently yeah. raped. Yeah, yeah, she was on the New Heart show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was also one of and, the designing and designing women, re- designing women. That's designing women replacements. Yeah, she replaced yeah. Uh, Delta Burke's character. Yeah. yeah, I'm telling you, this is a skeleton in a lot of people's closet. <laughs> so I'm one more movie, you. one more movie that I have on my list that I think is a Seven Samurai esque, if not inspired, movie. And this this movie is near and dear to your heart, and ah. should probably be on our list. Really? To look at you want to you want to take a guess as to what it uh, is? I'm kind of quivering over here. Um, oh, sorry, that's just flagellation. I, I don't know. Give me. Uh, I Give have me a no hint. Clue. Um, 
I'll give you a name that may kind of jog a memory. We'll All say right. Steven Tyler. Armageddon? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Seriously? Think about it. So you well, got a, yeah. You got a team of misfits that take on a big bully in the form of an asteroid. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, that are sought okay. out by, you know, the, the person that can't defend themselves, which is NASA and Earth. Yeah. Right. Oh, my God. So you got Bruce Willis and you got Ben Affleck. You got, uh, wasn't Ving Rhames. I always get him confused with it. Uh, the, big, the big muscled up guy, Papa Bear. Yeah. He died just a few years ago. Cholesterol problems, oddly enough, like they did on the character. He dead? Yeah, he died. He died a couple of years ago. He was diabetic, and he had high cholesterol. Oh, my God. But um, you got him, and then you've got Buscemi, amazing actor, Steve Buscemi. And, okay, so that's five. And then you got the Texas guy from uh, Wedding Crashers. Yeah, that's a... Uh, uh, I can't think of his name. Him and his Luke brother, both Wilson. Yeah, Luke and Owen, right? Luke Wilson. Or no, that's, that's Owen Wilson. Owen Wilson was the one. Owen's the, the blonde. Yeah. Luke is the is the brunette, right? Right. And then okay, that's six. Oh, and number seven is the is the heavyset kid uh, with Mama. Rockhound, yeah. Arm. Yeah, Rockhound. No, no, that's Buscemi. Oh, that's right. Buscemi um, was Rockhound, the big heavyset kid, the one that uh, ended up driving the second lamb. Yeah, I can't remember or whatever. He was. I just remember him from like. I remember. Wasn't he on the Power Rangers? Was he really? I think that actor was that was one of the heavy set uh, bad quasi bad guys on the Power Rangers. I think. I I don't know. Because <laughs> they had the big fat one and the little skinny one. Yeah, I'd... and I think he was the heavy set one. But yeah, there's your seven. Holy shit! I never made the connection. That is freaking cool. All right. Yeah, there I was I was thinking of of movies that would that would fit that mold, fit that, um, and it it popped into my head. I was like, yeah, that kind what of. What about fits. aliens? How many Marines did we have that were the main characters in Aliens? Uh, you had a few. I mean, so you're gonna have to count, um, Ripley. You got to count Ripley. You got to count the, the Black Gunnery Sergeant. You got to count right. Bill Paxton. You got to right. count the guy from the Terminator. Right. You have to count the um, uh, the android. Okay, the android. So that's five. That's five. Then you've got the the, uh, the short, little Mexican the, chick. Yeah, the tough little chick. Uh, that's six. That's six. And then what about she was on the heavy gun? What about that blonde guy that was with her on the other heavy gun? Would you count him? Because that would be seven, and then when I don't you remember put that in, blonde guy. And then when you put in the comedian, I can't think of his name. It's the only serious movie I've seen him in. He had Paul Reiser. Show. Paul Reiser. No, I wouldn't count him. He was the bad Paul. guy in that. Yeah. What about the little girl? No, I wouldn't She'd count her either. She's basically a villager in that movie. Yeah. Oh, that was a stretch. It was a stretch. Because they were coming to the rescue of a village, in a sense. Yeah, in a sense. I mean, you could make the case. But, no, I just, I never thought about it. Kurosawa just, he touched off so much. Yeah, he did. Not to mention some of the legendary things he did with a camera that had never been done before. Well, I mean, it it probably been done before, but not all of it together. I mean, he, he did a lot of... He combined a lot of different cinematography into that film. Because wasn't he one of the first ones that led to that? Uh, it wasn't Panavision. It was it was the same setup that they used. He used for a telephoto the lens. There was because Battle of the Bulge used uh, the original. I don't know if they've made a new one, but the original Battle of the Bulge with Henry Fonda and everybody. They had a. It was like they used three cameras at once, and they merged the three images. Yes, he did use multiple cameras. I don't know if he did a merging technique, but uh, he did use multiple cameras. Um, Because back then, a lot of times, it was just one camera, one scene. Right. And then they Uh, would reshoot the scene, whereas he would shoot it simultaneously from multiple angles and just edit. 
what he wanted into the into his film with the Seven Samurai. Right. He also used telephoto lenses, which wasn't common back then. He used slow mo, which wasn't common back then. Oh, I know. God, that was so cool. Yeah. So I mean, he was he was the inspiration for a lot of modern data artists, including oh, Lucas. Yeah. Uh, the Seven Samurai is one of George Lucas's favorite films. So you can fault him for Jar Jar and the Ewoks, but you can't fault him for his taste in movies. Oh, no, no. I would never do that. I mean, he's got excellent taste. It's just some of his writing sucks balls. <laughs> All right. Well, so, let's uh, get some awards thrown out. Who's your Black Lung Award going to? Oh, well. Face. Or not face, Papard, uh, the Colonel, Hannibal. Hannibal, yeah, yeah. Um, Hannibal, absolutely. And your head left award? And the, uh, Hannibal. Yeah, so he's got both my black lung and head left award as well. Easily. There was no competition. None. I'd like to see him and Doc Cottle hang out. <laughs> um, who's your player award go to? Oh, well. Player award, it's got to go all the way to Sybil Danny. Sybil Danny gets your player award now. What did oh, she yeah, do to get your Oh, yeah, she's the one tutoring. That's true. She did give some tutorials on... on we so. had a little graduate action going on. The only thing missing was Dustin Hoffman from the distance between her thighs. <laughs> so she's tangentially connected to my player award. My player award actually goes to Nanilia. Um, right. For taking those lessons to heart Her and immediately and immediately applying them to John Boy. And his torsion bar. And his torsion bar that slipped its groove. It slipped the groove. We gotta <laughs> it, get it that back in the groove. Definitely slipped that groove. Fucking A. Alright, so for our next episode, I have our current but growing list of sci-fi titles. I've got them all randomized right now. All right. Do we want to just pick one off the list, or do we want to just pick one at random? Random, baby. Random? Okay. So we've got 23 on the list right now. So pick a number between 2 and 24. 69. So a number between two and twenty-four. <laughs> uh, let's go for threesome three. Threesome three. Oh, you're gonna love this. Three. You are gonna Three's love a magical number. You're gonna love number three. So Hi. number three is the Kirk Douglas sci-fi movie, The Final Countdown. Holy shit! Yes! And it came out the same year as this <laughs> little gem did. Same year. Kirk Douglas, oh my Martin God, Sheen. Yes. Baby Martin Sheen. Yeah. Young Not quite Martin as baby Sheen. as Apocalypse Now, but still baby. Yeah. So, The Final Countdown is going to be, and this is one that you put on there, so oh, I know yes, this one's near and dear show. to your heart, too. Guys, if you're if if you are an enthusiast, this is no there's no space battle in this. Nope. There's no space battle, but you do get to see what a Nimitz well the Nimitz. The Nimitz. The ship of the name of the they, line of the carriers. They actually the USS filmed Nimitz. this on the Nimitz. Yes, they did. And interestingly enough, I found out when you and I were discussing this a few years ago that the, the Jolly Roger Fighter Squadron is not normally stationed on the Nimitz, but they were on the Nimitz for this movie. Right. You were telling me that they're originally, what were they on, the Enterprise? Yeah, I think so. And But for this movie, they were put on the Nimitz. And, uh, yeah, you get to see a uh, 1980 Nimitz-class nuclear fleet carrier Go up against the Imperial Japanese Navy, December 6th, 1941. Promises to be a great episode. So let's just say, you know, in Top Gun, when you see that A4 Skyhawk juking and jiving around with the F-14, he had a hard time dealing with it. Imagine that when you slow down that big double jet dog down to a fuck with an A6M5. Well, actually, for that (laughs) area, it would be an A6M2. Right. Still. They've got 20-millimeter cannons on them. Don't count those prop jobs out just yet. 
Yes! Hot diggity damn! Final <laughs> countdown. <laughs> nice! Got Kirk Douglas as captain of the Nimitz. All right, well, let's wrap this up. Intro and outro music is Welcome Home by Cambo. Pod crawl music is Snack Mix by Machette. If you like the show, please rate us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Podcaster, and Blueberry. You can leave us feedback at smokinganddrinkinginspace.com or email us at smokinganddrinkinginspace at outlook.com. You can tweet us at status underscore podcast. This has been Jason. And this is Red. And we'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. Nell gets bitten. Uh, fuck. <laughs> Keeps the blade a little in. <laughs>